You're listening to a podcast from the Media Motel. Coming up this week in episode 401, Juliet visits the Royal Opera House, the woes of forced jollity in modern life, and Harry Kane and Fortnite. We'll all be flossing after Infernal and From Paris to Berlin. Trans-Europe Express Adventures this week. I assume that they were cranking that up on the bus while she was May on tour across Europe. Um, that was uh, Infernal, which actually is an appropriate expression for all things Brexit at the moment, and from Paris to Berlin, and uh, that is an absolute banger, isn't it? Oh, well, it is. I, and also, I tell you what, I watched the video for this earlier the, in, in the week. She was wearing the outfits, and sorry for anybody who now has that mental image in there. Oh, I know. But it was a really sweet video, because uh, what was then, like, high-tech computer sequences... Yeah, it's it, really important now. Well, it's really sort of run-of-the-mill now. It's so it? funny, like, huge old computers. How, how quickly we've moved on. Huge, mm-hmm. great computer monitors and the screen with all green type on a on a black yeah, background. But, no, it, terrific was, stuff. Yeah, yeah don't... Is it 2005 it dates from it's something I think, like it was that, two, yes it? 2004 five yeah definitely and, and like you say amazing how 14 years later yeah. i mean you know iphones weren't a thing at that point were no, they so, no, so we talked all. about our smartphones and technology sort of 
it, it, I think it, it progresses at an ordinary pace, like science as well, I think. They, recre- they progress at an ordinary pace for a little while, and then all of a sudden there's an innovation and it just goes bang and, <laughs> and, and everything changes again. Welcome to the podcast from the Parish Council. It's episode 401. I'm Terence Stackham, and safety goggles are recommended. It's Juliet Harris. You know, I've, I very much enjoy these increasingly uh, ersatz uh, descriptions of the safety pr- procedures required to hang out with me, which I'm sure everybody in my life would agree with. Hello. Uh, George, in my experience, empty stadia, empty theatres, are, they're strange they're places. For, for a correct pluralisation of stadium. Yes, that's right, empty stadiums. Very yeah, good, I'm, right. I'm clapping, clapping at this yeah, end. Absolutely. They're, they're strange, but they are odd places. You know, the, the structure, of course, is the same, but there's, there's sort of poignancy of, of being there without the, the core of, of their existence, which is an audience, of course. I've been to meetings and deathly dull conferences at Lord's, the Oval, Stamford Bridge, when the venues themselves were empty. But this week, you've had an experience, I suspect I'm going to envy enormously, um, behind the scenes at one of the great greatest arts venues in the world yeah absolutely so i went with a mama and papa h on a coach trip with their local <laughs> i occasionally pop along with these they're always enjoyable experiences and uh, mostly in people watching more than anything else mm. um there's some very daft people around but anyway we won't dwell <laughs> on that um we went all the way up to like that london to the royal opera house in covent garden and it is a Lovely. very classy establishment yeah. parents i uh, we all felt very underdressed but um, we went on this guided tour mm. which had been booked um a very pleasant tour guy called john from somewhere in the northeast he was very nice shout out to john we also um had it's a, it was a very friendly venue in general you'd think that it might be a bit hoity-toity because it is very classy i mean the list of donors were all lady somebody or other and baroness <laughs> of who knows where it was when you saw them on the elevator it was all very the the list on the elevator it was all very much like that um but we met funny enough me and my mum were talking about the opera otello um which the present mrs h had seen a couple of years ago and my mum was asking why i was saying otello and i said because it doesn't have an h in this version and she said but that's wrong and i said well no because shakespeare and then the, the young woman that was sat on the other end of the other side of my mum engaged in, in a conversation she turned out to be a young woman called phoebe who worked in the uh, graphic design department and she was an excellent ambassador she was extremely friendly and everybody we met was really friendly and she said that when she first went to work there she was worried that it would be elitist and actually yes. it wasn't at all and it was an extremely friendly and pleasant organization 1100 people are employed by the royal opera house Gosh, which is a huge undertaking it's where the royal ballet and the royal opera run from so we went on this tour we weren't actually i'm going to have to disappoint you a little bit because we didn't actually go inside the auditorium oh. because they were rehearsing yeah. all day for the, the that evening and the next evening um they were there were calls throughout on the tannoy system for various people to join the stage for billy budd at one point that was being rehearsed mm. but we did have an absolute treat and you talk about empty stadia and going to things at, at empty stadia we not well, if you went to for example my local football club brighton and hove albion my local premier league club mm. you wouldn't necessarily necessarily have your conference on the pitch but you would have it in a conference room around the pitch yeah. um, the royal opera house equivalent of conference rooms for me are the rehearsal rooms now when you go on these tours you get what you get when you go on them so mm. you see what you happen to be passing by and so we take you they call it backstage so we went and saw some of the costumes we were allowed to look onto the, the backstage area of the of the stage so we saw huge areas of scenery that were marked up for romeo and juliet and things like that which were really interesting Mm-hmm. and watch various sort of videos about how they, they collapse and re-put the stage back up, which was very interesting if you are a nerd like me. And we, uh, we then, they then said, well, we'll go to the Royal Ballet rehearsal rooms and have a look and see what's going on. So we went up in this feasibly uh, sort of massive lift and bumped into various cheery men carrying bits of scenery and things in the meantime. And um, when we got upstairs... My favourite ever ballet dancer, and yes, I do have a favourite ever mm. ballet dancer, Lauren Cuthbertson, who is three months older than me, it turns out. So <laughs> I've still got it, Terence. There is still hope. <laughs> um, she, um, she is a principal of the Royal Ballet. Um, I thought there was only sort of two, but it uh, a boy and a girl. But it turns out, you know, it's almost like being a partner in a reefer in a law firm. It's a certain rank that you meet, you reach once you are senior, or being a consultant, say, or something like that. So she's one of them, and um, she. 
Um, I saw her on telly years ago, dancing as Alice in Alice in Wonderland, and that was her sort of big breakthrough role. And I just think she's brilliant because she seems to have a really good spontaneous spirit about her. Well, we got to see her and Matty Ball um, rehearsing, dancing for Romeo and Juliet, and they oh, said, "Well, lovely. let's just stay here." So we got to see ten minutes of them in a rehearsal room dancing it with Kevin O'Hare, who is the actual director of the Royal Ballet, um, just in leggings and a t-shirt directing yeah. them like you do. And it was it was a complete joy. Not least because at one point they were having to do that thing where he sort of swept her away and she was sort of in his chucked into his chest. And it was meant to be all romantic. And something that the pianist had said had obviously really made her laugh. And um, you could just see her shaking with laughter as it was meant to be a very sort of serious kind of scene. But it was such a pleasure to, to you know, such a privilege to see them at close quarters, you know, through the glass. And uh, no, it was it was a mm. wonderful thing. So I would recommend it on the basis that you know. And I actually tweeted and said what mm. great, how great it was. And the official account tweeted and said you never know who or what you'll see when you go on a tour it was yeah. it was really good we really enjoyed it and um also we got to go to the lighting department and get shown various bits of lighting advanced warning it is really very hot in the lighting department Imagine, yeah. slightly unwell and had to be cured with a glass uh-huh. of mouth lemonade which very much worked but um yeah it's it's uh if you have got children and slightly elderly people yeah. who don't see how wearing a fleece shirt and a jumper on top might, re- might result in overheating in a lighting department <laughs> then I'm too bitter. <laughs> so, yeah, I would, uh, I would, you know, perhaps give that bit of miss. But no, it was, it was beautifully yeah. done. It was a wonderful building as well. It was a, it's a wonderful place. Just go and have coffee if you're into that yes. kind of thing. It's really lovely, and uh, lots of people were having sort of meetings. I think where they'd agreed to sort of free dances and things. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a very enjoyable experience. But there, like you say, there was something about yes. either being in the emptiness of it or. Although we were on a guided tour and had permission, I think the joy of watching the ballet <laughs> dance rehearse is that you were somewhere that you kind of weren't really meant to be. Yes, yes. There, there is a joy of that, isn't there? The idea that, that a layer has been peeled off in the case of Lauren Cuthbertson and Matthew Ball and that you just get to see people slightly as that. I mean, obviously they know that people are going to witness them. But um, but yeah, it's it was just grand. It was it was such a treat and such a pleasure. Uh, so in relation to the wider aspect of the Royal Opera House, I know it's unhelpful to, re- to refer far too often as I do that something was way better in the good old days. But <laughs> I, mean, I very much I always enjoy my weekly patronising. Yes, it doesn't mean to be patronising. It's just that for anyone... No, I'm sorry, I'm teasing you, I know. I know you're not really... Anyone, you know, but anyone living uh, close to London in the days before the internet and, uh, and online booking, it was yes. nearly always possible to rock up to the Royal Opera House maybe half an hour before a performance was due to start. This would be the 1990s. And you mm. could just go up to the box office and simply ask if there were any returns. And this was tickets returned by people who, at the last minute or you know, on the day, just couldn't attend. And there were n- nearly always were. And often in the stalls, and I think it was about... They, they used to button knock them out for about 20 quid and it was fantastic in those days because I saw so many um especially if you just went on if you happen to be in you know, I was working in London and on my, sometimes on my way back towards Waterloo I thought mm. I know I'm just going to stop off at Royal Opera House and I got to see loads of the Donizetti I remember and um so many different things great ballet Swan Lake of course um now, I know technology has helped in so many ways, but mm. now you need to be able to apply online the second tickets go on sale and then be prepared to pay around 200 quid each for seats. I think you can queue up and pay a fee on the day to stand at the back of the bleachers, but you know, mm. no, no thanks to that for me. It's certainly, well, no, quite. And like you say, it is a bit of a pity, mm. isn't it? That it, it kind of it takes the spontaneity out of things, doesn't it? Really. So, yes, exactly. So, so yes. for example, I've recently booked. I wanted to see Stereolab, who, as I think regular listeners Ooh. to any of my output now, I'm a big fan of. I've never yeah. seen them before. I was a bit too young for them first time round. Um, so very much looking forward to seeing them this time. They said that they were going on tour. Um, they released the dates. I missed out on the pre-booking. And so I bought my tickets for, they were playing the Concorde in Brighton, which is a capacity of several hundred. Bought my tickets at one minute past ten. They went on sale at ten yeah. on that day on the internet, which I queued up to do. Just about <laughs> did it. They'd gone by two o'clock in the afternoon and you think yeah. oh, wouldn't it be nice if you could if you could for example just decided that you wanted to see them that evening and there'd be a few tickets on the door it would be it would be a pleasant thing to do wouldn't it really so yeah, I, so I it get that it, that it makes life a bit 
I, I get that it makes it does make life a bit easier if you don't live in London. So, mm, for example, if you want to see something yeah. and you don't live in London, it's nice to be able to book it without having to. I mean, for example, I haven't got the even if I did have the money, I'm not sure I've got the time to go up to London during no. a working day on the off chance that I might be able to get a get a reserve to you know a, a what a return for the mm. evening. Yeah. I mean, so if you live outside of London, then the planning has to back to it mm. makes it better. But having having said that, it then does of course mean that it. It, it takes spontaneity away, which is a pity. I can see it's a fairer system. It's more democratic. But I, it just, as you say, that thing of Rocky Up of the Day, and you know, I'm sure I've mentioned this before, so i just say it quickly. It just all reminds me of 1973. And just on, on the day, um, we just decided, my then girlfriend um, said, well, let's, let's go to that David Bowie gig tonight at Hammersmith, which is, you know, <laughs> yeah, that classic one where he retired the Ziggy character. But we just went up there on the afternoon of the gig and, and, and bought the tickets. There was it's, no. It's dark, you know, isn't it? I thought it, you'd be able to do that. Well, yeah. absolutely. I mean, look at the bum fight over Kate Bush. I know you were mm. able to go to the opening night, but yeah. you know all of those dates that sold yes. out instantly, and people couldn't get on, and it was all over. Look at Glastonbury, for example. Yeah. How that is now an enormously oversubscribed event. Like you say, I remember one of my. I'm not sure if I've told this story before. Apologies if I have, but yeah. I went about a decade ago to see uh, to the Brighton of uh, the festival had. Um, Ian Mc- Sir Ian McKellen and Sir Patrick Stewart doing Godot at uh, the Pavilion Theatre and we had somehow managed to get tickets, um, my former housemate and her then boyfriend and her parents and I all went, we got tickets and they were £40 each Mm. which seems quite a lot but we were four rows away from from McKellen and Stewart and the other two members of the cast were Ronald Pickup and Simon Callow so it was quite a line up I was mm. more than happy to pay a tenner each for them they're great sure. um, so we got in and we sat down in our seats which are row D and a very very pleasant elderly cha- older chap I'm not sure if he, he was certainly white haired sat next to me and was very friendly and was very but he was friendly in that way that he was just someone that was so clearly very excited to be there and we were chatting and he was delighted because he said um, he said oh I, I just came by on the off chance and there was one return ticket on the desk and they said I could have it and I was delighted for him and then it was almost like being in a film because a, a stewardess or an usher came up to him and they started talking he was a few seats, he was in the same row as me but a few seats away and I suddenly had this feeling of dread that he wasn't meant to be there and that they were going to take him away when he was so excited and he got up and I thought oh no and then he said to me I'm in the wrong row I meant to be in Roby, I'll see you. And then, and oh. then he was even closer to the stage, and he turned back and waved at us as it was about to start. And uh, I do think, like you say, it's a shame that that delightful chap um, that, that he yes. would miss out on his very because he was so so thrilled at the idea that he just tried on the off chance and it had, it had worked and he got such a good seat. I um, yeah, like you say, that's a that's a nice thing, and it would be a pity if that was completely lost. As, as mentioned Simon Callow there, actually. Splendid book he wrote years ago, must be about 20 years ago, called hmm. Being an Actor. Which is a, <laughs> Only a Simon Callow could write that. Really. Absolutely. Terrible title, but it's an absolutely fascinating book. And um, actually um, has helped me in many ways, both sort of in front of and behind uh, you know, cameras uh, a few times. It's absolutely splendidly written whether you're you know you're in the in the profession or you're not an absolutely brilliant book it's it, you know you might think oh well, what's in it for me but it's really just so beautifully mm. written and you get a real insight into um how to make the best of yourself um okay. it, well, i will, I will the, definitely add that to my never-ending list of things i must read before i uh, yes. before i shuffle off this mortal yes. coil as he would put it i think coming next how forced jollity is invading all aspects of <laughs> our life uh, that's right after yeah with a lovely uh, song Phil Lynott wrote about his then baby hmm. daughter it's Thin Lizzy Sarah, 
As I mentioned, uh, written for his, his baby daughter, who's now 40 years old. Oh, and, that's depressing, uh, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah, working as a production assistant at festivals and events. Number 24 mm. on the UK Top 40 in 1979, Thin Lizzy and Sarah. Mm, that's lovely. Lovely song. Increasingly, we, we live in a world where every interaction has to be one of excessive cheerfulness mm-hmm. last saturday we had um we had an early supper in a pub in the surrey hills and as i mm. paid for the bill at the table as the car payment went through the very mm-hmm. young waitress and i must say with regret here that i had doubts about her sincerity said oh dear she said and i quote have a wonderful rest of the evening not just have a good day or have a pleasant time. Have a wonderful rest of the evening. And she really emphasised the word wonderful. And I, I just bunged her a fiver as a tip. But even so, I, I thought to myself, well, look, it's 8.30 on a Saturday in the middle of Surrey. We're just going home to watch a recording of the Man City v Brighton semi-final. Mm. I kind of hoped it might be mildly entertaining. But watching... You know, the plucky seagulls take on the might of <laughs> Noel Gallagher's Man City and considering it to be wonderful rest of the evening was perhaps overdoing yeah. it. Perhaps so, yes. Although, bless her, maybe she was just... Uh, she was very young, she was maybe doing what they told her to. Maybe so. But waiters, waitresses, breakfast show DJs, they all have to be permanently glowing with bonhomie and excessive cheer. And it's what the writer Sophia War calls enforced jollity and i just think we could do with far less enforced jollity jules yes i mean i i'm inclined to agree or rather we could do with far less forced jollity in circumstances where nobody is nobody is very jolly so mm. she uses sophia war writing in the older uses the examples mm. of of um of teachers being forced to take part in um, open day activities, um, sort of inset day based oh. activities by um, um, oh. team building and staff well-being activities, yoga, glow in the dark table tennis, bread making and oh. badminton, which is quite a that's quite a journey, isn't it? I mean, that's a, <laughs> that is a full activity, random th- activities to do. But in order to perhaps, you know, increase our, our morale, why don't we um, not make my teaching assistant redundant because there aren't enough hours why don't we keep the school open five days a week you know it's it's it seems like people use it as a as a papering over the crack exercise you know a, a, a friend of mine recently said to me you know don't send a grand national sweepstake round um telling us all to raise money for our charity when you've just made three of my team redundant you know i i, I feel in the in the case of employers forced jollity is often used as a let's pretend that everything is okay 
and uh, and you know if we have this raffle and we have this secret Santa that means everybody is a great team and that nothing is going wrong and I do feel sometimes that that isn't that isn't quite the case and I know team building is important and actually I, I am a fan of team building activities I mean once mm. you've been on once you've been on a segue around Hever Castle sponsored by your employer you never look back Terence I can tell you that God. but I mean, it was fun it was more fun than that sounds actually mm. although I know you hate activities and people and and there know, is all of that and the of both so yeah. I can understand why you would not have enjoyed that but it was very good fun and genuinely too because we went for a pub lunch afterwards and we if you work in a firm like that where you're spread across different offices and you don't see each other very much apart from at christmas and you know we worked in a team that had 15 people in it but worked across three offices it was genuinely it was a genuinely fun thing to do and nice to see nice to see our colleagues we didn't see very often so that was i i don't have an issue with team building i don't have an issue with trying to make tedious things fun and trying to acknowledge that your employees are stressed and perhaps I need something to help them. What I do have an issue with is when it's used as, like I say, a papering over a crack when there are wider issues that perhaps should be addressed. Or as I said to uh, to my line manager when I left a previous job, I'm really sorry, an Easter egg isn't enough for me. <laughs> of course, television um, features the very pinnacle of false jollity oh um, loud game shows it's crazy yes it? oh yeah well, yes well the bbc has long specialized in over <laughs> over grinning breakfast tv yes, uh, show hosts who, who seem to be have to be yes. upbeat whatever oh, the no, circumstances I mean, I mean, Dan and, tries to be serious doesn't he on bbc one but but he is you know the problem is one minute it's, it's difficult it's tonal shifts one minute they're having to be very serious about brexit and syria and the next there i don't know interviewing david van day i it does seem it's difficult to have that kind of um, to, to switch on and off, if you see what I mean. And it's, I think it's also it's, it's, it's um, such a god awful hour of the day as well on breakfast TV. But yeah. now it spills over. Be up at that time. <coughs> yeah, Don't now it's. Normal, anyway. It spills over into the wider orbit of television. I think during the mm-hmm. day, and particularly during shows of, um, for the more senior audience during the day. <laughs> Even commercials uh, for funeral plans have people barely able to contain their mirth and glee. Oh, I noticed just during the week that they say, "Oh, you know, you could you could just um, have ten pounds a month to put towards your funeral." And the people telling you this are in their conservatories in in, in their middle class homes. <laughs> and and it, they've paid for already, so they can then pay a, for their funeral. It's almost like they're having a party telling you about it. It's the most extraordinary thing. Um, Maybe they got the same people that did the adverts for conservatories. To to do the funerals on as well <laughs> on the same day. Maybe that's the issue. They haven't quite sort of switched over. But the very worst, I think, for enforced jollity are, as you just mentioned a moment, game, a moment ago, game shows, where contestants, I think they must be threatened with a cattle prod if they, if they don't frolic and sort of effervesce their, through the show. Tipping point and the chase are bad enough for this. But well, that, I mean, without, you know, encouraging complaints, quote, that's what you get for watching ITV, unquote. Well, I think the biggest culprit is the BBC's pointless game show. Mm-hmm. It, yes, this is true. In which people go through several rounds for usually a rather miserable 500 quid each, which mm-hmm. the, the jackpot, as Alexander Armstrong over-promotes it, jackpot, 500 quid each. <gasps> well, I mean, I know 500 quid is nice, but it's not riches beyond dreams, it really no. is it. But these people are pointless. They bounce and they hug and they punch mm-hmm. the air like they just saved the planet from destruction. And all because TV producers feel we can only handle exaggerated extravagant happiness they can't just say the people who've won it just can't just say oh, 500 quid all right that's handy mm, nice one no exactly it has to be the greatest <coughs> thing that's ever happened it, and it's yeah. it's funny isn't it how an emotion it would seem on television has to be a hundred times what it is otherwise it's not really that i remember years ago i think it was might have been paul merton and it might have been bruce forsyth i think on one of the earlier incarnations of room 101 Hmm. Bruce Forsyth wanted to put shouting TV presenters Hmm. in and they use an example of a clip of Gabby Roslin presenting a competition, it was one of the early sort of be a star type reality, I want want to call them reality but they're not, it was a bit like it was a pre-runner to how do you solve a problem like Maria, you know that kind of thing Yeah. Uh, which was the BBC thing where they auditioned uh, the next Maria from the Sound of Music for a stage show well this was a kind of a be the next kids TV presenter on CBBC and the chap that won it who was called Michael it might be Underwood I think mm. funny enough went on to be on Dancing on Ice but he did go on actually to have a genuinely successful career on Kids TV and presented for several years 
But they said they had him and the other bloke. And uh, Gabby Roslin says, and the winner is. And then there's a pause of about 15 seconds. So who wants to be a millionaire child pause where they build the tension up, build the tension up. And then she shrieks at the top of her voice, it's Michael! And I remember <laughs> saying, I just can't deal with this. I hate this. And Paul Merton made the very astute point. He said it's almost like they're trying to, they're trying to overcompensating in mm. generating a sense of excitement that isn't there. Absolutely. And I wonder yeah. if, if there is an element of this in that, in that, when we have this forced jollity and you know or, or kind of getting people to hype up emotions if you're having to work at something and if you're having to kind of really stress something it might be because it isn't really there in the first place or it isn't really worth shouting about maybe you were just you know if you're having to force me to be happy maybe it's because i can't be happy myself maybe it's because i'm not happy you know and <laughs> is that such a maybe if it's in a, an employment or sort of environment workplace atmosphere or if it's you know maybe if it's on telly if it's in a workplace atmosphere do you want to look at the reasons why i'm not happy rather than giving me a paper hat to wear if it's uh, if it's tv what is it about your format that isn't generating excitement? What is it a format that works? Have you got the right people for it? Why are you having to shout? Surely if it's a good format and you've got the right contestants and it's exciting, it's exciting in itself. You don't need to work at it. I think there's a valid argument. It's going to sound like a mad sort of conspiracy theory, but I think whether it's in the workplace... Yeah, whether it's in the workplace or it's uh, broadcasters throwing it at you through your television screen, I think there's a sort of collusion between the man... Uh, and these broadcasters. <laughs> it's always him, isn't it? That man. Mm. So that, in this case, TV can continue its as role as opiate for the masses and keep us... Mm. Force jollity keeps us in our place. Have we uncovered the reason why Tottenham Hotspur's season <laughs> always seems to collapse each April and May? That's next, right after this epic single from The Church. Sometimes when this place gets kind of empty Sound of their breath fades with the light I think about the loveless fascination Under the Milky Way tonight Lower the curtain down Memphis Lower the curtain down on right I got no time for private consultation Under the Milky Way tonight Wish I knew what you
Stratospheric heights of number 90 on the UK <laughs> singles charts. It with a bullet, yeah. Uh, they're only single to trouble the charts over here, actually. It also made Man, n- at the church deserve better, mm. I think. It made number 24 on the Billboard Hot 100 from 1988 and a single taken from their album Starfish, The Church and Under the Milky Way. Not to be confused by Walking on the Milky Way by Orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark, as I no. rather foolishly did earlier on. Hmm. Jules, maybe about a year ago, I saw Deli Alley, the hugely tal- talented uh, midfielder for Spurs, scoring mm. a goal. And then at the time, what I thought was this peculiar dance move in celebration. Then a young person explained to me that what he was doing. <laughs> you come across these young people. Yes, there, very handy. They shepherd you through life. Very handy to have around to explain certain elements of modern life to mm-hmm. me. And she, it was explained to me, she explained that this is flossing. And it was a dance move from a hugely successful computer game. And Jules, you've discovered why we should be a little wary of how addictive these games can turn out to be. Well, yes, this is true. Now, the game in question and i think any parent listening will be familiar with this probably is called Fortnite. now i'm distressing these parents I, i'm afraid to inform you it upsets me as well that yeah. it's spelled f-o-r-t fine n-i-t-e oh, not so fine i know and it's all one word as well so it is a bit difficult um it's a game and and young charge plays this and uh, and I, I'm just beginning to understand what it is. It's a little bit similar to something like Minecraft or Lego Worlds, again, games that people may be familiar with that have children, whereby you play an individual and you can kind of sort of wander around a virtual world, which you can have some part in building as well. Right. And, um, but the thing that marks Fortnite out is much of it seems to involve shooting. So, so it's involved shooting of other people, um, targets, um, and so you can play, and this is where it's sort of key, you can play over the, um, I, I don't know, I think it's available on different platforms, I've seen it played on the the, the, P, the PlayStation 4, the PS4, right. and it can be played across a network, and so you can, if you are so inclined, if you've got one of those natty headsets with a microphone in it, you can talk, you can play with other people and talk with other people, right. and occasionally, in the case of these young children, discover older people that should not be there and throw them out. Mm. Um, however, we did worry the other day that they may be throwing out famous people, because it, as games go, it seems to be incredibly addictive, because it's a game that is, because it's a world-type game, like Minecraft, although you have missions that you can complete and tasks that you have to do, it's not like a traditional game where you reach the end of one level and then you start the beginning of the next level it is sort of almost there's no structure to it which yeah. means if there's no structure to it or there is some structure to it i'll get told off for saying there's no structure yeah. to it. If there's some structure to it it's very much it's not like you can say well once you finish level then this level then you've got to go and get, clean your teeth and get ready for bed it's difficult to do that because which means of course that it's difficult to stop when yeah. i used to i used to play computer games a lot when i was a teenager and particularly during exam periods hmm. what i would do is i would revise for an hour and a half and then i'd have an hour of crash bandicoot which is usually a platformer type game and i would decide that i would get to the end of a certain level and then i would stop and that was always a good way of kind of regulating because those games are addictive they they, they hmm. really are the combination of music and flashing lights and this kind of incremental reward system they, they you know they're designed we've talked about smartphones previously and apps and things like that they just and, and how apps kind of store up information yeah. they you know they 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 are designed to sort of hook you in now people that they may have, have been hooked in to this um footballers 
people that often have bursts of, bursts of things that you need, bursts of activity, and then lots of um, sitting around, as, as uh, I think it was Charlie Watts once said about the Rolling Stones. Oh, yes. It's 20 years of, of, of being in a successful rock band is five years of playing and 20 years of sitting around. Yeah. And I think that there is some similarities of being a footballer, I think. When you're not training or actually playing a match, doesn't seem to be an awful lot to do mm. and um, so uh, you know aside from getting into to fights in nightclubs and uh, being uh, being outed as love rats in the tabloids <laughs> lots of other players seem to be playing Fortnite. and this is a slightly George dropping story from the manchester evening news and thanks to heather for her production work this week you know bringing this to our attention um at least a dozen footballers professional footballers have sought treatment after becoming addicted to the video game Fortnite. accounts for exchange. an increasing number of young pros including including some Premier League stars who are said to have reached out and asked for therapy after developing a damaging obsession for the survival game. Now, Prince Harry, who's about to have a baby and is therefore, and therefore, or rather his wife is about to have a baby and therefore suddenly knows everything, has called for it to be banned. <laughs> but he has said, and this is true, it is created to addict, an addiction to keep you in front of a computer for as long as possible, which is not, not you know, not untrue, I don't think. He said, in one case, two footballers at the same club have been getting uh, treatment after their game began affecting their performance on the pitch and another young player has spoken about how it led him to getting just so this is a young football player getting two hours sleep a night oh and skipping training sessions with his coaches believing he was having problems at home and he said i was in pieces i was hooked in two weeks all those years of training and dedication i was prepared to throw it away um it's, uh, part of the game is that you are 100 players fighting each other to be the last one standing on a shrinking island so there's this kind of a sort of a, a, a point to it i suppose but um it would seem that hmm. um tottenham's season going going a bit wrong at the last minute um so i told you the other day as i mentioned the other day um we were we were talking about how um these sort of kizzy nine-year-old kids that we we hear playing um we heard um a young child saying the other day who's that is that an old man? Let's throw him out. Well, it turns out it might have been Harry Kane. So apologies to Mr. Kane if you were rejected from the game by by, uh, by some nine-year-olds. But uh, figures obtained by the Sunday Mirror show Harry Kane has played 3,362 Fortnite games since July 2017. It's incredible, isn't it? Deli Ali and Kieran Trippier have played 443 se- four, sorry 4,437 and 3,760 um, uh, respectively. And um, this uh, counselor is saying that Fortnite has been right uh, in football for over a year. I'm working with a Northwest team where two left backs are fighting over the same position on the pitch and fighting on Fortnite off it. They've been playing until 5 a.m. Uh, some nights, hitting their performance in matches and training. Whilst drinking drugs and gambling and monitored in football, gaming is under the uh, radar mm-hmm. it's very um there is there is something very alluring about it but it is frightening how easy it can take over your life um it it really is it's it's quite it's, it's troubling how these games can be, be proved to be so addictive whether whether the manufacturers and developers can be held accountable i'm not so sure because they would argue that they're just providing entertainment but on the other hand it does seem to get people addicted into the same oh, mental and, process and that drink drugs and gambling absolutely. do absolutely well it triggers the same i think you could talk about dopamine and how mm. it triggers the same areas of the brain it's it's and also by the way the, the the reference i made to the smartphones which i think we talked about previously and the sort of the way that they're triggered um there's a book called how to break up with your phone by Catherine price which i've tried and failed to read several times and really need to and i think i've mentioned it before in the podcast but she actually talks about the science behind it in that book about how smartphone apps deliberately designed to deliver sort of incremental rewards and these kind of games that like i say don't necessarily have limits to them are similar it's not new um in the addictive pursuits uh, through computers it seems bizarre now but in the early days of mass internet mm-hmm. use, say nineteen ninety nine, two thousand, those mm-hmm. sort of days, when you know, more dial and more, up people, days, yeah. yeah, it was dial up days. But but more and more people had a internet able computer at home. Microsoft had these um, features called MSN chat rooms, and in those early days, yes, I, I used to go on MSN Messenger. I used to go on a lot. Maybe that was the the successor to MSN. I think chat. it was they closed these chat rooms down because of mm. what I'm I'm really about to you know, give an yeah. example of because. 
in those early days, I joined uh, one based around arts and culture. They had, they had one mm. for sports and one for mums and one, you know, all this kind of thing. Um, and they had one called arts and culture. And I, you could make some friends in, in joining these things. And these rooms were open 24 hours a day, chat rooms. You, just, you could text into them. There's no cameras or anything like that. Um, and if you had an hour to spare, it was quite an innocent place to chat, make the sort of jokes we now do on Twitter. Um, and mm. in, in some cases, people did find romance, if that's what they were looking for. But yes. I remember this one guy I knew um, who became seriously addicted to hanging out in this mm. art and culture chat room to the point, and it's very, very similar to, you know, this is like nothing new under the sun. It's very, very similar to Harry Kane and Deli Alley and Kieran Trippier playing Fortnite at all hours of the day and night. Um, he was in this art and culture chat room to the point his then partner um, they're no longer together which perhaps isn't oh, a surprise no, yes. yeah. um, she used to put a blanket round his shoulders and bring him soup because he couldn't bear to miss anything so he used to miss meal times they had a couple oh, of children gosh. he didn't come to the meal times she would go off to bed leaving him sort of there at the computer until he fell asleep over the keyboard quite literally so i think beware you know there's nothing new in addiction and i think beware the impact of um fortnight battle royale in our lives absolutely or indeed any kind of you know mm. I, I, any sort of thing which which sort of takes your attention from somewhere else where you'd rather be really now, when you're not um, hobnobbing with ballet dancers... Indeed, yes. Where, where might we find you this week, Jules? Well, um, as uh, we, we talked about this holy day, as I always refer to it yeah. with a friend of mine that we have a laugh about. Tomorrow is uh, Saturday, the 13th of April. It is Record Store Day, Ooh. which is a now a firm fixture in the calendar. Uh, we've whinged about it in previous I have years, snarked um, about it before, so I'm keeping my powder dry here. And, and you know, and I, I, I'm not blind to its pitfalls and, and, and disadvantages, but having said that, one thing that is nice, that lots of the record shops that we have locally, the independent ones, always put on some sort of celebration during the day and that is actually quite fun so there is a, a dj all day at wound flutter in hastings who don't have any record door, store day stock every day is record store day there but they are having a, 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 a deviators djing all day um it, i think there are bands all day at the union music store in lewis and i'm very much looking forward to going to music's not dead in Bexhill, who are now previously they had a shop and now they operate out of the cafe of the delaware and they've got bands on all day including the near jazz experience which is a great name for a uh, for a group which feature former members of Blurt, I believe. So very much looking forward to uh, the uh, otherwise unsuspecting uh, citizens of the cafe um, being subjected to what I think is some sort of free jazz um, at four o'clock in the afternoon. But yeah, really looking forward to just uh, going and hanging out, seeing friends, and uh, and yeah, like you say, just uh, seeing all these bands for free because they never charge. So actually, I think that that's uh, that sort of taking away some of the more avaricious elements of record store day and just mm. celebrating music, which I think is a nice thing to do. So looking forward to that. Meanwhile, thanks to you for listening. Yes, you. <laughs> and thanks to Hilly, Heather, and Rona this week. Indeed, we've got. We've, it feels a bit like Charlie's Angels. We've got an increasing band of uh, of producers. Yes, do come and join our uh, our never ending team. And uh, well, just looking at the title now of our closing track, I'm wondering, have you got a crush on Pep Guardiola? <laughs> so, uh, so to to slightly unpack this somewhat yes. unexpected, but some some <laughs> listeners in particular might have just dropped their tea at this. So I can I can reassure you that everything is fine. Uh. But um, but yes, I'm a I'm a, a big fan of this tune. Um, we spoke briefly <laughs> last week about my weekend away at the Airbnb, oh, and yes. it's, it's slightly extended but rather charming host who brought some records for us to enjoy. We we knew there was a record player there, so we took some of our own records, and she brought some for us, which is very kind of her. And uh, by far our favourite of the selection offered by her was this album which I couldn't quite believe I knew it was a cla- I mean it's all like a classic that one hasn't heard I knew it was good but I didn't quite realize how spectacularly great it was um this is Inner Vision by Stevie Wonder um, which it's wonderful and I since managed to pick it up for a fiver from Covent Garden Fop um which uh, you know hmm. as you might have gathered filled my afternoon after the, Oxford, the the Opera House but um yeah I picked it up for a mere fiver on CD so if you fancy going there other shops are available though not that 
that many nowadays but if you do want to go there then that's what you can find and i thought i'd pick this because i think it's just a just a wonderful kind of ta- almost a tapestry of sound really i think it's great i i love this very much i am um, have been enjoying when i've dj'd recently playing the michael mcdonald version of this which is also fantastic mm. but um but yeah i i thought i'd go back to the original and i just think this is just a I, I think it's something else. I think it's Stevie operating on on another level to to I think anything else was at the time, and and I love that moment in an artist's career when all of a sudden they just go stratospheric, not in, not in success necessarily, but in kind of where they are artistically. I think it's it's such a leap forward. I just think it's it's sparkling, and I don't think it's dated particularly either. So this is Stevie Wonder and Living for the City. A boy's born in Hotdam, Mississippi, surrounded by for one that ain't so pretty his parents give him love and affection to keep him strong moving in the right direction living just enough just enough for the city have been listening to a DACA Media Production.